The following message comes to you from the pulpit of Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church in Ackerman, Mississippi. We invite you to visit Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church for worship services every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. Macedonia is located at 11 Staten Road on Highway 15, five miles north of Ackerman, Mississippi. For more information about Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church, you may visit our website at macedonia-pbc.org. I'd like to continue our thoughts on a, the topical survey of 1 John, and we've looked at the topic of love for a few messages, and we'd like to hopefully conclude those thoughts on the theme of love in 1 John, and then uh, we previously connected that to the theme in the Gospel of John as well. And we'd like to read 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 and 8 to introduce and then we'll make our way back to chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4, verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. It's one of the character attributes of God. God is love. And because God is love and because he has manifested, let's just keep reading in verse 9, has manifested the love of God toward us because that God sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. Here in his love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and, and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, therefore we ought also to love one another. And as we've read for you many times in uh, John chapter 13, by this shall all men know that you are my disciples in the way in which we love one another. And our love one for another all stems from the fact of God's amazing love toward us, right? So we have to understand God's love toward us first if then we're called to show that love toward others. <clears throat> um, I want to highlight a few verses and I'm going to go ahead and read them now instead of saving them for the end. I feel like if I save them for the end, I probably won't get to them. Um, that uh, quite a few verses that, that show love and the New Testament uh, depiction of agape love in action, charity. Charity being the pinnacle of Christian discipleship. Okay? Charity, the pinnacle of Christian discipleship. <clears throat> 1 Timothy chapter 1, 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 5. Now the end of, of the commandment, okay? The end of the commandment is charity, love in action, agape love, a willing, self-sacrificial giving of oneself for the benefit of another without the thought of return. Now the end of the commandment is charity, love in action, out of a pure heart, and of a good conscience and of faith unfeigned. Notice the end of the commandment, the destination, the final destination, the, the culmination of Christian discipleship by which you will be identified in this world. By this show all men know you're my disciples, right? Is by the way which you love one another. It's interesting that you can turn to Colossians chapter 3, uh, that in Galatians chapter 5, when it talks about the fruit of the Spirit, and I've mentioned this many times myself, that the very first um, 
attribute of God that is depicted there in the fruit of the Spirit, the very first attribute is love. The very first attribute is love. Love, joy, peace. But even though it's listed first, does not mean that it just comes out naturally and easily. Now, it is an identifying mark of the fruit of the Spirit, right? We've talked about that. By this, we know that we've passed from death into life. Why? Because we love the brethren, right? We love God and we love other people. We love the brethren. That's an evidence that we've passed from death into life. But <laughs> when children show up, we'll put it like this, the willing self-sacrificial giving of oneself, uh, do, do little children just naturally self-sacrifice to their siblings uh, when there's a little bit of a conflict? Does that, does that naturally come out? No, it is a learned trait, Amen. right? Uh, the Apostle Paul said uh, that I, I have uh, learned to be content in whatsoever state I am in. Contentment is not a natural disposition. Right. Contentment is a learned trait. And to a large degree, love is a learned trait. Now, it's inside of us, right? We, we, have, we have the love of God residing inside of us. But it takes a lot of Christian maturity to work out that love in the manner we're called to, to work out what God's worked in. And it doesn't just, it doesn't just come out naturally. And it is a, it's a lifelong pursuit of this pinnacle, and that pinnacle being, being charity. Colossians chapter 3 and in verse 12. And this is contrasted. We're not going to go back and read all these. But he talks about putting on the attributes of the elect, putting on the attributes that should be the identifying marks of God's children. And this is contrasted with the previous verses about putting off the works of the flesh. Put off all these bad things, and this is what you should put on. This is the garments that the elect should be identified by in this world. Holy and beloved, bowels of mercies, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another, forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against you, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. And those are good attributes that we need to put on. We need to be exhibiting those on a daily basis. But then he says, and above all these things. You see that? Above even, even mercy and kindness and forgiveness. Above all these things, put on what? Put on charity, which is the bond of perfectness. Let's go to uh, 2 Peter chapter 1. 2 Peter chapter 1, beginning in verse 5. Besides this, giving all diligence. Now, now this, this growth pattern of Christian discipleship that he describes here and, and adding uh, one building block upon another, it doesn't just come naturally. He says you have to be diligent. You have to be diligent and you have to be faithful, giving all diligence. Add to your faith virtue. Now, now where did you get faith from? We got it in the new birth, right? You didn't choose to have faith. You're dead in sins. God gives you faith. But once you have it, once you have that indwelling nature of faith, now you live out that faith in an active way. There's a distinction between the vital faith that we have in the new birth and then you working that out in active faith. Okay? Add to your faith, virtue. And I want you to notice these building blocks, these stepping stones right here, right? You start out with faith that God gives you in the new birth, and you add to that virtue, and then knowledge, and then temperance, and then patience, and then godliness, and then brotherly kindness, and then what's the final destination of this, 
of this growth of Christian discipleship? What's the final destination? Charity. Charity, right? Not just brotherly kindness. Not just that phileo love. That, that general disposition of, of uh, kindness and affection towards someone. But going beyond just... Just that phileo love of, of being a good friend, but say I'm willing to, to sacrifice myself in the sense of agape love, okay? Not just phileo love, but, but ascending to agape love. And then, once you've reached that final destination of charity, if these things be in you and abound, they make you that you will be neither bare nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ, and then in verse 10, you will make your calling and election sure, and you will be protected and, and sustained. If you do these things, you shall never fall in discipleship. And if we're that diligent, if we're diligent to be growing in discipleship in the manner that we ought to, then we shouldn't stumble and fall, at least not as much as those that are walking in darkness and according to the course of this world. And then in 1 Corinthians 13, we know these verses very well, right? The charity chapter, and this is actually in the middle of a three-chapter, very lengthy discussion on spiritual gifts. And then he takes a little bit of a pause of the detail of the spiritual gifts, and particularly the in the, here in the early church, in the Corinthian church, the miraculous manifestation of these early gifts and speaking in tongues and such. But he puts charity again as the pinnacle that we should be striving towards, okay? We'll read the uh, last few verses of chapter 12 leading into chapter 13. He talks about all these miraculous gifts that are very evident in the early church and very evident in the Corinthian church. The gifts of healing, tongues, interpretation. But then he says in verse 31, But covet earnestly the best gifts, yet I show unto you a more excellent way. There's something better than, than everyone uh, bragging on you because you're the best interpreter of tongues. That, that you speak in tongues more than someone else. Or, or as he says here, uh, you, you are more charitable than someone else. And you're doing that, hopefully not to draw attention to yourself. But, you're, but you're, uh, the confidence that you should have in your discipleship is not that I speak in tongues more than anyone. Of course, the Apostle Paul says later on, he said, you know, there's not, if, you, if it's done properly, there's not anything wrong with that. If, especially in the early church, there wasn't anything wrong with that. Because he said, I speak in tongues more than anybody else. But that doesn't mean anything if it's not motivated by charity. If it's not motivated by love. Um, let me see if I can find this real quick. I think this is in Galatians. Yeah, Galatians chapter 5 and in verse 6. For in Jesus Christ neither circumcision availeth anything, nor uncircumcision, but faith which worketh by love. So charity is the fuel of faith. Okay? You want to take notes, write that down. Charity is the fuel of faith. And th those cannot be separated. I mean, think about that in Hebrews chapter 11. It says that without faith, it's impossible to please Him. Well, what is the, what is the fuel of that faith that you use to please God? Love, right? The love. 
love of God and love of others. And it doesn't matter uh, these external actions of faith that you exhibit if they are not being fueled by love, if they're not being fueled by charity. And that's what he says here in verse 1 of 1 Corinthians 13. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, have not charity, I am become as a sounding brass or tinkling cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains and have charity, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned and have not charity, it profiteth me nothing. And that language is important there because that's not to say that there's not benefit to him giving his goods to feed the poor. There is benefit. Those people are being fed. But it said it profiteth me nothing. Profited me nothing. If if my true desire is is not agape love that I would get out of the way to where Christ would be magnified and Christ would be glorified, if I'm doing it to where many many men today, and it's not my place to say if they're children of God or not, but I that most people that are rich in this world didn't get there by being the most honest, humble, meek, and lowly people in the world. All right. So I, I don't I don't know you know the eternal state of Jeff Bezos and and Bill Gates and all these people, but I know there's a lot of people that have a lot of money that they give to where they can have their name on the wing of a hospital. They give so they can issue a press release to tell people how much they gave. Uh, And there's many people that do that. You know what? There's people that that can be benefited by that money, but it didn't profit them other than giving them, just like the Pharisees, exactly what they want, which is the praise of men and probably a tax deduction. Okay, That's all they really want, and they get exactly what they want. But I don't believe the Lord, if they do it with the wrong motive, is giving them that internal assurance and peace that... Well done, thou good and faithful servant, confirmation of the answer of a good conscience. Now, if they do it for the right reason, then God will bless them in that way. But just because somebody gives something external that may appear to be very, very uh, charitable. You know, we're used to that term in America, aren't we? A charitable organization. Uh, By the way, just as a side note, as advice from a CPA, um, if you give money to nonprofit organizations. Um, I haven't looked up the website in a while, but I haven't saved. Research them online and find out how much of their money actually goes to program expenses, okay? And if, if 80 cents on the dollar doesn't go to program expenses, then I would, I would urge you to look somewhere else to contribute your money because most of it is on fundraising and on administrative salaries. You want, if you're going to give to a 501c3 nonprofit charitable organization, you really need to make sure that at least 80 cents out of your dollar is, is going to what, what you think that you're giving to not some of these organizations where there's people running nonprofits that make a couple million dollars a year, okay? But we're used to the, <clears throat> to the language of a charitable organization. But just because it's a charitable organization doesn't necessarily mean that agape love is being exhibited in it, right? Okay? And we're just going to read, because it's just wrong to not read these verses <laughs> that describe charity, uh, because the Holy Spirit gave it to us, and it's just wrong to read 1 Corinthians 13 without reading the whole chapter, okay? Verse 4, <clears throat> charity suffereth long, and is kind. 
Charity envieth not. Charity vaunteth not itself up and is not puffed up. Charity doth not behave itself unseemly. Charity seeketh not her own, is not easily provoked, thinketh no evil, rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in truth. Charity beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things, and charity never fails. Praise God. Praise God for that. Okay, now down to verse 13. Now abideth faith, hope, and charity, these three. But notice, the greatest of these is charity. The greatest of these is charity. And certainly, charity will carry on into heaven. There won't be a need for faith and hope in heaven. Uh, but the, the love of God will be perfectly and abundantly manifest in heaven. Uh, and that's part of the reason why the Holy Spirit identifies that as being the greatest among those three. And there's other verses that we can give you, but I think those give the, give the idea that charity is the pinnacle of Christian discipleship. And it's, all the, it's the bar that we all strive towards. And it's the bar that many times we fail in meeting as well. So let's go to 1 John chapter 4 and try to make our way through the rest of this chapter in this beautiful language that describes God's love toward us and then our love toward others. 1 John chapter 4. <clears throat> we'll read verse 7 again. Beloved, let us love one another. For love is of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. Now, John, being the stark writer that he is, that we've seen up to this point, and we will continue to see as we look, continue to look at uh, 1 John and the common themes in 1 John, uh, he is saying that the general disposition of a child of God's life should be love and not hatred, right? right. He says you shouldn't, you shouldn't hate your brother. Now, that doesn't mean that from time to time we can't get turned up and, and make bad decisions and, and harbor grudges in our heart. But if we're living in the manner that we ought to, the Holy Spirit will convict us of that and we would repent of that. But the general disposition of God's children is that if we love... God and we love other people, then that's evidence that we're born of God. But he that loveth not, knoweth not God. Knoweth not God. Now, th there can be a general disposition of kindness, or what we in the South would consider to be kindness, of those that uh, are not necessarily born again by the Spirit of God, just because it is the culture. It's the culture around us, you know? Uh, just because someone uh, says... Hi, how you're doing? Hope you have a good day. And they're, they're generally kind in checking you out at the grocery store or at the, uh, or at the bank or something. That's not agape love. That is evidence of the Holy Spirit. Okay? That's just general pleasantries that is our culture. You know? Uh, you know, think about um, back in the day in the European Mediterranean culture that they were in. You know, uh, Paul told many people, greet one another with a holy kiss, brotherly love. Well, you know what? There were some other people that greeted, unregenerates no doubt, that greeted family members and other people with a uh, general uh, greeting that was customary in that culture that looked very similar to what the, uh, the church probably would have done in greeting one another with a holy kiss. You see that? So just because someone performs an action 
that that might be a general uh, cultural uh, norm does not necessarily mean that that's an exposition of agape love. Okay? But when we are truly willing to sacrifice ourselves and put other people's needs ahead of our own and and make sure that I'm exalting others and debasing myself, that is a true exhibition of, of agape love because it is exhibiting the love that Christ had toward us, right? Okay, verse 9. In this was manifested the love of God toward us. You know, Jesus professed, and I sure am glad he did. I'm thankful for election. I'm thankful that God chose us before the foundation of the Lord. I'm glad that he, uh, that he wrote the, the covenant of grace, the covenant of love, before the world began. And he signed it. All three members of the Godhead, all three members of the Trinity, signed that covenant of grace, professing his love toward a bride. But there came a time... Where that love, it says in the previous chapter in 1 John chapter 3, let us not love only in, in word and in tongue, but in deed and in truth. There came a time where that profession of love exhibited, uh, came manifest by actions, right? It was manifested. Now God loved us from before the world began, but it was manifested publicly by Jesus coming into this world and dying for our sins. And this was manifested the love of God toward us. Because that God sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. Here it is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be a propitiation for our sins. When Jesus is telling the disciples how they are commanded to love one another in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5, he says in verse 46, If you love them which love you, what reward have you? You're not any different than anyone else if you only love the people who are nice to you all the time. Okay? That's not a testimony to the rest of the world. That's not really even letting your light shine very brightly. But where your light can shine very brightly is if you love them that, that are your enemies. You bless them that curse you. Verse 44. Do good to them that hate you and pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. Verse 47. If you salute your brethren only, what do ye more than others? Do not even the, the publicans also be therefore perfect, even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. He's going to start using that language here in 1 John chapter 4 as well. That, that word perfection speaks of maturity. And that's what we're talking about, right? Charity being the pinnacle of Christian discipleship. A mature Christian can exhibit that kind of love. But what is a, what is a, what is a carnal or immature Christian do? I'm going to be just as petty to them as they're petty to me. I'm going to render railing for railing. I'm going to uh, not exhibit that kind of love towards someone who's, uh, or pray for them that are despitefully used. But the mature Christian the mature Christian doesn't, doesn't feel the need every time someone says something about Now, there's a place for standing up for yourself, understand. But I don't have to go correct every wrong that's said incorrectly about me. Right. Uh, the mature Christian can say, can say, you know what? The Lord knows the truth and the Lord can defend me. Yeah. The mature Christian can defer that to the Lord. Okay? Yeah. And that's where he's talking about perfection, growing to maturity. Growing to maturity and discipleship. To where, you know, someone, 
says something that's disrespectful to me, well, my na- my natural flesh is going to want to render railing for railing for railing and say the same thing back. But what does the mature Christian do? I absorb that, and what do I do instead? I try to exhibit the love of Christ in this situation to the best of my ability, and at a minimum, have my grace always with grace and seasoned with salt. And even if there, I mean, there comes a place to be very, very stern and truthful and and say what needs to be said, but it always needs to be delivered in love, right? Speak the truth in love, okay? But that's what the mature Christian does. And the reason why we can do that, that's why we have to be so settled. We have to be so settled in our mind about God's love toward us when we're called to show that love toward others because the general disposition of Christianity today is that God is only willing to love you if you're willing to choose to love Him first and act right long enough to where He's not going to turn His back on you and cast you in hell and hate you for eternity. Uh, I can't remember who I was talking to recently, but we were, as primitive Baptists, somewhat joking, but it's sad that this is not a joke. This is real life. Uh, but people present the gospel as uh, Jesus desiring to propose uh, to someone, and he's saying to to the dead alien sinner who's dead, by the way, right? We know he's dead, so he can't do anything. Proposing to a dead person, number one, no one wants to propose to a dead person anyway, right? Right. Right? They they don't smell very good. They're dead. They stink. Uh, Not a lot of life for you to want to spend your life with them. Why? Because you're not going to spend your life with them because they're dead, right? But... The idea is that Jesus is proposing to the dead alien sinner, and he's saying, I desire for you to marry me. Will you please marry me? And then, if you do, great, I'll, I'll bring you to heaven to live with me. But if you tell me no, yeah, I'm proposing to you. And here's what's so bizarre about all this. Apparently, Jesus is proposing to you every single day until the last day where you accidentally have that fatal car wreck that everybody talks about. And now all of a sudden, that proposal goes off the table and said, if you don't accept me, if you don't accept me, not only... Now, I told you I loved you this morning. (laughs) I told you I loved you this morning and I wanted you to live in heaven with me. But if you didn't accept me by the time you die, I know I loved you this morning, but because you didn't accept me, I'm going to throw you in hell for all of eternity. Now, that doesn't sound like a very good husband, does it? That doesn't sound like somebody that I really want to say yes to. Now we understand that that's not correct. That's not correct because God loved us before the world began. But God is not offering His love to you so you can choose to love Him. No, let's go ahead and fast forward to verse 19. We love Him. Why? So simple. I tell you, the Bible, people say they can't understand the Bible. (laughs) You want to know people, people want to know what Prairie Baptist believes. What did primitive Baptists believe? You you need to know Matthew chapter 1 and verse 21 that Jesus came to save His people from their sins, right? You need to know John chapter 19 and verse 30 that Jesus said, it is finished. And what are those other simple verses? When people want to know what primitive Baptists believe, why do we go to heaven? Why do God's children go to heaven? And why do we want to serve God here in time? Not to make sure that, that we do enough to where God doesn't uh, weigh the balances and we don't measure up when we get before Him. We love Him, why? 
We love him because he first loved. That's so simple, isn't it? That's so simple. We love him because he first loved us. The point I was trying to get to is that when you're called to love people who don't really love you, you really have to understand, verse 10, herein is love, not that we loved God. That has to be the beginning point. Because otherwise, you're just going to begin self-justifying in your own mind. That's right. Amen. Right? Uh, let's go ahead and uh, skip over to uh, Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5. Similar language. Verse 6. When we were yet without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. Now, scarcely for a righteous man will one die. Yet, peradventure, for a good man, someone even dare to die. I mean, there's people that I love, the people in this room that I view you by the grace of God to be righteous men and, and women and good men. And if I was in the right circumstance, I hope that I'd be full of the Spirit and say, take me instead of them. But there is no one that would say that when God commended his love toward us, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And then in verse 10, while you were enemies, that's when we were reconciled. And not only am I going to give my life for the enemy, and we talked about this before, but there is just no reasonable person in this world that would ever give their only son for the life of their enemy. And you shouldn't be expected to. In a natural sense, you shouldn't be expected to because that is illogical. <laughs> It's illogical for you to give your most prized possession, the person you love the most, for a person who hates you. But that's the gospel. Amen. Amazing grace. How sweet this out. That saved a wretch like me, right? Here in his love, not that we love God, but that he loved us. Okay? Therefore, verse 11, Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. That's a commandment. Let's skip down to verse 16. And we have known and believed the love that God hath to us. God is love. He that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God and God in him. In, Matthew, in John chapter 15, Jesus talks about abiding in the vine, abiding in me. And if we're abiding in Jesus Christ, then it's evident that what's going to be coming out, if we're walking closely in fellowship with Jesus, hand in hand with Jesus, what's going to be coming out are the attributes of Jesus, right? right. I mean, it's not hard to, to love God uh, with all of your heart, soul, and mind when you're walking closely with Him, when you're walking, uh, abiding with Him. And if you're doing that, if you're walking in close fellowship with Jesus and you love him with all of your heart, soul, and mind, then your, your natural disposition of your heart is not going to be to hate your brother. No, the, the second commandment just flows right out of the first one. It's easy to love your neighbor when you, when you understand the gravity of God's love towards you and you love him with, with every fiber of your being. It comes out easily. It comes out naturally. But if you're not walking with Jesus and you, you're influenced by the world and you have some peers that tell you that this person did something to you and you need to find a way to get them back. Now, there's a place for standing up for yourself. But listen, 
that's Jesus didn't do that. <laughs> Jesus didn't do that, right? He loved his enemies. Okay. Now we're going to talk about perfection. Okay, maturity, maturity in love. The pinnacle of Christian discipleship. Verse 17. Herein is our love made perfect. It's made mature. That we may have boldness in the day of judgment. Because as he is, so are we in this world. And that, that sounds like such an oxymoron. That there is, it doesn't make any sense that we could have any boldness in the day of judgment. Now, when, the, when uh, Jesus comes back the second time... There's no great wide of throne of judgment for the elect, okay? That's only for the non-elect. On the left hand, they're judged out of the books, and we are judged solely by the imputed righteousness of Jesus Christ. But the, the mature Christian can live in such a way that we don't ever have to be ashamed of that judgment seat of conviction in our own heart, okay? There is uh, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment. That was some of the language that he used in uh, chapter 3, if you remember that. Chapter 3, verse 19. Hereby we know that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before him. If our hearts condemn us, God is greater than our heart and knoweth all things. But, but beloved, if our hearts condemn us not, then have we confidence toward God, right? And what, what a blessed state to be in, to be walking and and. Uh, such godly of a way that we can walk around with that answer of a good conscience Amen. toward God, right? That answer of a good conscience is not just for the day you're baptized. It uses that language to talk about baptism, but we should have that answer of a good conscience on a, on a daily basis, Amen. right? Amen. When we are growing in our discipleship, being purposeful to have that those building blocks growing in discipleship, uh, pr pressing forward to, toward the pinnacle of, of charity. Here is our love made perfect. And now there is no fear in love. Perfect love casteth out fear because fear hath torment and he that feareth is not made perfect in love. And I believe we've all been around long enough in this world that we could all heartily amen the Holy Spirit when he said fear hath torment. Right. right? Fear has torment. How many problems start happening when... Just study this out in Scripture when you have time. See all the bad things that happen and the bad decisions that people make when they get afraid. They, people, God's people just crumble when they get afraid. And I do too. And you do too as well. That when we get afraid, we just crumble. And we make really bad decisions and we say things that we shouldn't say and we do things we shouldn't do. But perfect love casteth out fear. Do you remember that faith worketh by love? Remember that connection, right? That if our faith is bold, you know, think about, um, I heard a really good message um, that was preached last Sunday night talking about how God gets his people out of, out of so many different uh, uh, jams that they get in and there's so many examples of that king david uh but but i think some really good examples are abraham twice and isaac right. that they got afraid when they went uh into into egypt and then 
to Abimelech, and then I can't remember where the third location was, and they were afraid that they were going to get killed, so what do they do? They lie that their wife was their sister, creates all these problems. God protected them in the midst of that and blessed them in doing that. Uh, actually, it's, you know, God didn't cause that, but uh, especially with Abraham, he went in uh, with being kind of middle class, and he came out being rich. <laughs> Uh, over over him doing something he shouldn't have done. The Lord blessed him in the midst of that. But what 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 Abraham and Isaac should have reasoned by faith is that there's no way that I'm going to be killed when I go down to Egypt. I don't have to lie because there's no way that I'm going to be killed because, and I don't have to be afraid. Because I'm not going to be killed because I don't have a son yet. God's promised me a son. And that's what faith does. Faith looks at the promises of God and reasons that, you know what? I don't necessarily know how all this is going to work out. But I do know that there's no way I'm going to die down in Egypt because God made a promise. And it's not about uh, me. It's about the only thing that matters is it's about God's faithfulness to his promise. So Abraham should have reasoned by faith. Which should have quenched the fear. Which should, have, which should have prevented him from lying. You see? There's so many examples of that. That if we trust the promises of God, much of that fear is going to be quenched. But it's also just a reality that we all struggle with. I mean, <laughs> I have no, no telling how many hundreds of times in the Bible God tells his people, fear not, fear not, fear not, fear not. Right? And that's just the way we are. We're a fearful preacher. Fearful people. But when we trust God by faith, and, what, and what's, the, what's the fuel of faith? Love, right? That is going to dissipate that fear. There's no fear in love. A perfect love casteth out fear, because fear hath torment. And he that feareth is not made perfect in love. We love him because he first loved us. And if a man say, I love God, and hates his brother, he's a liar. And he that doeth, uh, loveth not his brother whom he hath seen, how can he love God whom he hath not seen? Now, what he's saying there is that if you say that you love God who you haven't seen, this is your opportunity. Remember what he said uh, to the sheep on the right hand in Matthew chapter 25 when he brings them before the seat of judgment? Uh, in so as much have you done the least of these, my brethren, you've done unto me. The closest you can come to loving Jesus is by loving your brother that's in front of you. So if you hate your brother that's in front of you, you know the opposite's true too. If you, if you love your brother that's in front of you, then you come as close as you can to loving Jesus. But if you hate your brother that's in front of you, you're coming as close as you can to hating Jesus. Okay? And he said that's just incongruent. It doesn't make any sense for a child of God to act that way. And then he summarizes this in verse 21. This is the commandment that we have from him, that he who loveth God will love his brother also. A few more verses. Verse five, uh, chapter 5, verse 1. This what believeth that Jesus Christ is born of God. Everyone that loveth him, that begat, loveth him that is also begotten of him. By this we know. We can have assurance. By this we know that we love the children of God and we love God. And it's not just about being kind to the brother. It's, it's about a, a totality of life about keeping his commandments. He says... Uh, 
children of God, when we love God and keep his commandments. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments. And by the way, his commandments are not grievous. They're, they're not unfair. They're in your best interests. We thank you for listening to today's message and invite you to visit Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church for worship services every Sunday morning at 1030 a.m. Macedonia is located at 11 Staten Road on Highway 15, five miles north of Ackerman, Mississippi. For further information about Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church, you may visit our website at macedonia-pbc.org.